And welcome back to another episode of the Knicks Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Maggio, joined by Sean and Eli of the Knicks Wall. So what is going on, fellas? How are we feeling? Hey, man. Feeling great. Honored to be here. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks beat down the Celtics. So what could be bad other than, like, you know, everything else going on in the world right now? Yes. Yes. Succinctly put. Uh, The only good thing. I would like to start on before we even get to the, the Knicks and uh, the, the the what is now going to be the Victory Monday episode, because, again, we beat the Boston, uh, the Celtics in Boston, which is always terrific. Uh, Deshaun Watson, maybe to the Jets. That's not real news. However, it is a rumor. It is a rumor because we've been seeing lots of tweets. So Maggio bomb. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. All I'm saying is I'm excited. I'm seeing uh, I'm seeing Shefty tweeting that the Jets have the best, you know, best chance to get them. I, I see Deshaun Watson liked the tweet. You know, I don't know if he un- liked it, but there was a screenshot of it, which is evidence in 2021. It is facts. 4K, <laughs> we caught it. So for me, th- there's some smoke going on. I'm a little bit excited because we need a quarterback like I need oxygen. Same way, if we ever got a star PG in a trade, this is exactly how I would feel. This is the exact same excitement because that's the exact position for my favorite, like the best position, most important position for your favorite team. Whenever they get that short up, that's a, oof. So uh, maybe it's not going to, I don't know. I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but man, it, imagine that. Imagine I that would after two years of games. I would become one of the most annoying people on the face of the earth. And it would be such a beautiful thing. Like to have an elite quarterback on our team, that would be insane. Like I can't even. What? Vinny Testaverde, Chad Pennington, uh, Mark Sanchez, Geno Smith, Quincy Carter, like, none of those are Deshaun Watson. It, it would be so nice, man. We, we deserve it, especially after the Gase years, after trying to buy the, the Darnold uh, project. It just, it would be nice. But let's, uh, let's talk next. So they go to Boston today. They beat the dog shit out of the Celtics. I mean, Kemba just had his first game back, so I don't know if, you know, how 100% he was or if he's working slow. He looked awful uh, is the point, so that's on him. That's a him problem and a Celtics problem, so he looked awful. But then Tatum was also out. Uh, Jalen Brown was Jalen Brown, though. Uh, everybody else, Nick Sullivan check. Uh, we, we, you know, defense was uh, was pretty sound, I thought, and on top of that, uh, everybody wanted to see play well, play well. So, you know, Sean, I'll start with you. What, what are your notes since you tweeted this one, uh, play by play? What, what, do you, what are your notes from this one? What did you like? Um, there was so much to like in this game. One, RJ got himself to a great start in the first quarter. I mean, he was just dominant. I think in the first quarter, he had nine points and six rebounds. He had two steals, a block. He was just filling the stat sheet up. He was all over the court making hustle plays. It was beautiful to see. Julius was... Julius again, and once again, I'll, I'll say it as well as I have to, Julius Randle is a star, and he shows up every night. And you can depend on every single game, his production, whether he's on, whether he's not, he's going to be there for you. So that was fantastic. Um, and you just have to love the IQ minutes. I mean, 
basketball is so much fun to watch when he's playing it. And, you know, the production, 17 points, eight assists, like that's a great game for any point guard, let alone a rookie point guard, let alone a rookie point guard in 21 minutes. So, you know, he's just really productive when he's out there. Mitch being a warrior, even though he was injured and I was a little worried about him, you know, just still holding it down to the best of his ability, limping around, Obi coming off the bench and finally getting comfortable offensively, hitting a couple threes. Um, he's not shuffling his feet every time he catches the ball anymore. That's pretty cool to see. He's moving well off the ball. Him and IQ had a nice rapport. And Kevin Knox continues to knock down corner threes. So uh, it was it was just the perfect game. Except Alfred Payton started. Other than that, though. Yeah, so obviously seeing quickly build off the last couple of games is, is good and important because for him to overtake the starting position, you need to have those uh, performances strung together. You know, as we've learned, no much, and no matter how much screaming and bitching we want to do about play the kids because they're young and you drafted them, the Knicks weren't going to listen. So you have to out, you just got to perform. You got to come in and you, you got to really, you got to be good. That's it. That, that, that's the only way they're, they're not going to, they're not going to do it any other way as we've learned during this rebuild cycle. So seeing quickly come in, I didn't really put much stock when he was a uh, cold to start because he had just come back from the injury after, you know, having a, a pretty full training camp and everything else and, and looking pretty good. So I was willing to see him after a couple of games. And then since then, I mean, we've gotten 20 plus minutes, you know, pushing 30, most of these games, which regardless of if he starts or not, is always what you want to see. He's out, you know, playing more minutes than Alfred Payton the last couple of games, which again shows that Tom Thibodeau trust him because why else would you be playing him that much? because he can shoot, because he can play make just as much, if not more, than Alfred Payton ever could. So if a guy is going to be able to do the same playmaking, play better defense, play at a faster pace, and shoot the basketball from pretty deep, as we've seen the last couple of games, he wasn't just hitting baby threes. There was a couple that were pretty deep. So it's starting to get to a point where it's like, well, what, what more do you need to see? This isn't just like sixth man bench score material. This is like a kid coming in, you know, playing his ass off, busting his ass on both ends, and the, the results show that in his minutes, that they are supremely better with him, both on offense and on defense. And that's with him playing big minutes with Randall. And it, it's like, it, at some point, like, I know I know Tibbs isn't an idiot. An idiot. You know, maybe we're going to have our issues with a couple of little lineup tweaks, but, like, there's just no way. And he said it a couple times, too, like, well, we, we need to shoot the basketball. He, he does that for us. Like, we need that. So, at some point, if he's doing it this much off the bench, it makes you feel like, He's, a, he's either about to take that or, or, he, or he's close. So I was excited about that. I mean, just, again, the, the shooting, the playmaking, he just looks really, really good. And for a late first-round pick, that's like the exact kind of surprise and luck that you need. So, uh, so far, so good. Uh, CBS Sports gave him a D-plus. Just want to bring that up again because we dunked on you guys during the game. So uh, sometimes your problems are your own fault. Um, but... Um, Aside from that, RJ looked really good. I was I was happy about that. He, you know, he struggled for a bit. Um, seeing him just <laughs> not miss every shot has been fun these last couple of games, uh, whether they were losing or not. So that was good. Uh, and again, some of those passes he threw today were incredible. So I want to start with the one that was obvious where he threw that like right-handed cross-court pass. I think it was to Julius in the corner for three. But there was another one that I like where he threw it to Alfred in the corner, actually, which yeah, obviously he shouldn't have thrown Delford at the corner. However, the way he did it, 
he drove and he was out of bounds when he jumped, but he did the Steve Nash wraparound. I'm going to find it on the replay. He like wrapped it because all you saw was his hands pop out and the ball fling like this. And then the, the ball like shot like on a curve to Alfred. And I was like, wow, that was a that was another one. Like that was another really high level pass for him to use like a pocket of space like that, you know, to extend the play. So I again really like what I saw, not just the score, but the passing. The rebounding was again terrific because he's RJ Barrett. That's what he does. Uh, got his hard hat on, loves rebounding, starting the breaks. So uh, I just, I saw a lot of what I wanted to see from this team today. Just, it was very good basketball. Uh, I will always enjoy the Knicks play good basketball, good sound basketball. And they did today. Yeah. I mean, I think that that play you pointed out was like, honestly, one of the best plays of his career. Like, cause not only did he hit the pass, which like, if it wasn't Alfred Payton, that pass was right in the shooting pocket from like from a no look around a big man, which is, impressive enough as it is but then the fact that he spaced to the corner and confidently knocked down the three which is like that's basically what you need from him like you don't need him shooting like off the dribble above the break threes but if he can knock down like a corner three consistently you know that that gives him so much more value so like to hit the accurate pass and then space which I know like is not his forte like he likes to be around the basket that I think that was like one of the most encouraging plays that he's had just like in general, his entire like year plus career. So yeah, that was really cool to see. Yeah. Like it was great because I just love possessions that have RJ as the initiator. I think it it's gives him a chance to show off his entire skill set and it plays to his strengths. And like, like you said, that, that right-handed pass to Randall was beautiful. Like if that Randall jumper goes in, you know, that's a, that's a highlight, but it, it doesn't go in. It gets tapped out. He goes, he chases down the rebound, taps it over to Randall, who then attacks and scores. I should have, I wonder if they counted that as an assist, honestly. But the pass to Alfred, he drove, he drew the entire defense, and that's off the rebound. He's coming down. He's got the high screen with Mitch that we've been saying we need to see him in. And he's attacking. He draws the entire defense, makes an excellent pass. And then, yes, Eli, like the relocation to the corner was huge because it was just like, wow, like, that was perfect basketball. And for it to come back and find him to him, knock that shot down. Like I, you know, I feel like if he gets more touches like that, more possessions where he's doing those things, he was the possessions where he was the initiator were so great tonight. And I think him rebounding is great for his game. Like a game with 11 rebounds, that's pretty much, you know, for RJ getting 11 rebounds, that's about 10 to 11 possessions that he's starting and him being the initiator in those possessions he's he operates pretty well out of that so it's good to see yeah and uh the other thing i want to bring up on that play too was it again showcased randall's playmaking this season too because he caught it on the perimeter and then he just took a little pump got his defender to move a little bit drove and then without doing too much you know maybe last year we would see him barrel in maybe make that pass a little bit too late but this one you know as soon as he took that first kind of dribble and took that first step he was already looking to pass to the corner for rj so for me to continue to see them have that chemistry this season um you know obviously rj has to make these shots but like he's been finding them in the corner a bunch like they've had a really nice little two-man game and those are two really funky guys to build around so the fact that they're working together pretty cohesively they're, you know, this team's going to go as those two go, like, period. So, it, it that's, you know, no matter what Obi does, no matter what Quickly does, unless, you know, Quickly turns into some, like, wild, you know, young star PG in his first season, which, again, please, that, that would be cool. But, um, 
you know, barring like some like weird, you know, wild, you know, thing that goes the next way. Like it, it, we kind of know what you're going to get in those two and know what to reasonably expect from like their ceilings this season. And like to see them like really start to flow and help each other kind of get there. Like, you know, getting RJ those open looks and letting Randall kind of create in space or, you know, it, it's, it's been fun. Last season, we thought it was really clunky, uh, clunky and didn't know if it was going to work. And now it's like a, a pretty, a pretty reliable, you know, thing to see every night. So that's been a, a lot of fun as Randall's kind of had a, a really kind of a breakthrough season so far. Well, it's crazy that the offense is able to look so good, especially with those two. And like, obviously there's, we're coming off a, a what five game stretch where for the most part, the offense looked pretty terrible, like including right. with those two, but like for them to be as effective and like, you know, just kind of like hardworking as they are. And neither of them are shooting above what is it? 28% from three right now. So like, obviously we expect RJ to maybe get it up a little bit, Randall, Hopefully, but, you know, like with the volume that he's taking, he was never going to be that efficient. Like, I think like early on, he was like leading the league and like pull up percentage. And like, you know, that's probably not going to sustain the whole time. But hopefully, like as as the team progresses and as quickly and RJ kind of expand their playmaking, you get Randall some more like um, uh, some more assisted shots. But the fact that the offense is able to flow like that with the two main ball handlers, plus like elf obviously but like let's banish him to some far away icy land but like with them both shooting poorly from three like that's really encouraging and and for randall like i have long been you know a detractor of his time on the knicks but the fact that like today was he had four assists and that's his second lowest assist outing of the season and it was yes. like that's not even to take away like he was he was making good plays the whole game he, he like forced some shots because you know he's always going to force like a couple shots but like he was really looking to find people the whole game and so the fact that that's his second lowest of the season is like that's pretty damn impressive man like he's just having a monster year and as someone who just could not stand him like all the way up through like preseason of this year I just like I gotta give it up because he is just playing his ass off and he's like he finally seems to be sort of playing the right way, like the way that we always wanted him to and like using his size and his like mobility and his vision to actually like make the team better and not just like try to get his own stats, which is just like, it's damn cool to see that. And it's really cool to see it happen on the Knicks. Yeah. And I do love that everybody said stuff last year, which again, sort of rightfully like, oh, he's got to be, you know, play more like Sabonis, which now if you look like they have, very similar stats like they're doing almost the exact same like obviously they have a little bit different play styles I think Sabonis is a little bit smoother Randall is a little bit more like I'm, I'm gonna fuck you up kind of bully ball <laughs> but I mean but that's about it I mean they're mostly doing the same like they're hovering 23 points you know 10 11 rebounds uh you know five plus assists six assists um you know Randall's closer to seven still I believe so it's like Pretty cool, man. You know, for, for the age of the big man and the playmaking big man, and, like, obviously Jokic is the king right now, rightfully so. But it's like, you know, it, I kind of like that we got one. Like, I mean, I don't know how good we're going to be, but uh, at the end of the day, like, knowing we have, like, a little offensive hub and Randall every night is, like, it, it is a, a nice feeling knowing somebody's going to be able to do all those things for you, you know? So we'll see. You know, like, but like you said today, too, he wasn't even getting all the assists, but just even some hockey assists, just keeping the ball moving. Uh, especially out on the perimeter. They had him spaced out a little bit more, I felt, tonight behind the line. But uh, just good, smart basketball from Julius Randle. I hope he gets rewarded for it this year. But 
I'd like to point out that he is tied with DeMar DeRozan for 10th in the league in assists per game, which is pretty fucking absurd. Pretty absurd, right? 10 in the Julius Randle. Julius, I'm saying, like, he's having, like, a, just a, no matter what you think about him or his play style, like, just the, it's there. The evidence is there. The numbers are there. Just producing, he's producing night in and night out, and I can't thank him enough for it, man. Like, I keep saying, Julius Randle is a star. A star production. We've seen it on nights where he's on. We've seen it on nights where he's off. He shows up every night. He's showing up on both sides of the floor. He's been a leader. He's been finding guys. He's done everything you can really ask for. And I think that's also a testament to the coaching staff because it's a huge, pretty much 180 from what we saw last year. Like, he was always... Last year, I kept screaming. I was like, Julius Randle is good at basketball. He's very annoying. He's getting on our nerves. He's He's making bad decisions. He was spinning and had a lot of those turnovers, but he was undeniably good at basketball. So for this coaching staff to be able to come in and get him to lock in, and it, it just looks like he understands more. The game is simpler for him. And, you know, he's, he knows where to pick his spots at. He's getting guys involved. You know, I see a lot of, during the five-game losing streak, there were a lot of people who were, you know, oh, Tid is a fraud and blah, blah, blah. People are so reactionary, but that's definitely a testament to this coaching staff. Like, he's, it's a 180 from the last year. Yeah, and I'm, oh yeah, go ahead. I was, I, I agree completely. Like I think, yes, they went on a five game losing streak, but it's important to remember that this team is not very good. Like it's a team made of like pretty good players with one to two like actual good players. So like, yes, they were always going to lose more games than they won. But like you know, like when when we went into the season, everyone knew that it was like it's not about the wins and losses; it's about what you see from the people who matter, right? And like. I think that by that mark, and we're, we're still, you know, what, we're 14 games into the season, so we're, you know, still early on, but, like, I, I think it has to be, credit has to go to Tibbs and the rest of the coaching staff, like, the people that you want to see improving and the people you want to see playing better and playing smarter and playing to their strengths more, especially now that RJ's kind of, like, turned it around a little bit, like, they're doing it, all of them, like, Knox is doing it. Randall doing it. Mitch looks better. Like every single, like, I mean, we obviously, we haven't seen Frank and wild and Dennis Smith seems to have completely lost any trust that the coaching staff ever had in him. If they ever had any to begin with, but like for the most part, the people who really matter to like the team's future are showing what you wanted to see. So like, yeah, they lost some games, but like who gives a shit? This team was always going to be bad, but like they, they, they look a lot better than they should and like the fact that they they work so hard and I was like I was talking about this when I was watching the game today like they work so hard that it, it sort of almost reminds you of like the 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 nets from a couple of years ago or even like the process sixers where they were like not that talented but they were just gonna like work their asses off and that gives them a chance against like any team and you know you've seen you've seen that against good teams we've seen that in like comeback victories or losses like these dudes are playing together and they're playing hard and that's like, like, what else could you want from this team this year? And the other thing to point out is that they've been shorthanded. Like, Tibbs already has a short rotation, but, like, even then, you know, like you said, this isn't a team of, like, terrific players all the way around, but, like, even some of the marginally decent guys, like Burks, have been out. Like, Obi, we knew was at least going to be some kind of offense off the bench. Like, I, I was, for me, figuring he was probably going to be close to a double-digits guy if he was playing 20 minutes off the bench, you know? So that's what he's going to be out there for against second unit. So, you know, having those guys out 
for a bit and then at the beginning of it you know quickly started he was still kind of in a funk rj couldn't shoot anything either so then it was like a couple of the guys you needed to play well weren't playing well on top of the fact that you were missing guys that were going to you know be in your offense on top of you know everybody caught on to all-star randall and started doubling him everywhere and it was like the perfect storm to me of like i don't want to make excuses they didn't really play great either but it was like event like i could understand at least a couple of those losses you know what i mean i was like ah well like seven guys it was like eight it was like seven eight guys playing i mean whatever man like okay guys that we need to shoot the ball aren't here guys that we need to score aren't here i mean what are we gonna do hopefully hopefully these guys doing you know well enough until they get back so you know seeing ob though tonight uh i i really liked how they used him tonight uh i gotta say um using him almost like exclusively quick playing them fast together playing real you know up and down get, you know getting him moving getting him running at the rim uh you know big dunks big oops um hitting a couple threes like really just mixing it up a little bit i know they try to get him to kind of post up a little bit on a couple of mismatches i know he tried it on pritchard i know he tried it on a couple other guys but uh they felt very forced to me like they were starting him up like really high and trying to give it to him there and it's like you know force the mismatch but then like let him get into position before you throwing him the ball like i felt like they were trying to like really force him which is better than the alternative of not feeding him but like just you know give him a minute he's not that he's not that strong to begin with so let's give him a minute to try to like figure it out get position kind of giving him the ball on the move really wasn't that great there but uh everything else i thought was pretty good i, I loved how him and quick played together um that was really exciting and uh seeing him hit a couple threes was pretty exciting so i i thought this is like kind of what you know the ob top in rookie season offensive display was, was right there for us i felt so that that was pretty cool well, and I know that we're excited that he like came out and he scored some points and he, he looked really good. And like, not only that he made three, but that he like, didn't look afraid to take three, like kind of like what Sean was saying earlier, like that was one of the biggest things with him in preseason was when he, he took threes sort of kind of with this wild momentum, pushing him forward that missed badly. And then he wouldn't really take the open threes, which he did. And I know we're all like, that's super exciting. It's great to see him make those shots because like, frankly, he needs to make those shots if he wants to be a, a productive player. But can we talk for a second about his ISO defense on that play against Jalen Brown? Because, like, I know that that's just, like, one play against a team that, you know, was making Brown be, like, the first and second option. But, like, I've never seen Obi move that well. And for someone who moves so poorly, like, 90% of the time on defense and, like, looks so almost, like, you know, like a poor, like lame bird trying to contest a shot, like for him to D up Jalen Brown, force him into the tough ISO, like on the perimeter is hugely encouraging. Like, I, and I really think that he, I think he's going to be awful defensively. I think that's pretty clear, but he looks better defending on the perimeter than I thought he would, which is not saying a ton because I thought he was going to be garbage, but he is actually like pretty solid. He's like, he's not quick but he's got a decent idea of what the guy is trying to do. And I just thought that that was like probably the most encouraging thing I've seen from him at the Knicks so far. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he's doing that, if he's moving his feet well now on the perimeter, um, that to me is like the biggest concern that anybody had about his defense. Like, like the other stuff, I feel like if he can do that already, the other stuff is like, Hey man, we got to teach you how to be tall around the rim a little bit better. Like, let, let's go work on that. Like, that's, to me, that's like, 
all right, Kenny Payne, like go earn your money, man. Like that's why you're here then. Like figure that out. If he's already, you know, holding his own at least. And again, not saying that's going to keep up over the you know course of the season, but just to see the fact that he's moving his feet that well for a guy who's supposed to be a hard worker, supposed to be very athletic. Um, it's good to see him using those tools defensively too. So we'll see how far that goes for him this season. But again, I do agree it was encouraging. But, you know, now that he's – today to me like really marks his first like game that he was like back. Like in, really in the flow of the offense, taking shots, trying to really work up and down the court. So like for me, like this game onward is like, okay, like you look fine. You look good to go. Like you're, we're going to ju- – now, now like the real judging begins. You know what I mean? So uh, good start. Encouraging start. Yeah, definitely an encouraging start. Um, seeing him be active defensively, you know, he always he's always going for it. You know, he's always engaged. Um, so that's good in itself. But seeing him get that comfort offensively was huge. And, you know, being able to depend on, you know, he, he looked like a guy who you can almost ask for, like, you know, between 10 and 15 a night from. And if you're getting 15 and out of the bench from Obi, like, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I get a little ahead of myself, but it's like, if he becomes a guy who consistently, you know, is able to get pretty solid minutes off the bench, maybe 25. And, you know, he can give you 13 to 15 points off the bench every night. That's huge. You know, that that's a huge thing for, uh, that that's what moves you toward becoming a good team. When you've got a solid starting line, you guys are going out there and getting things done. You've got, Austin Rivers and Obi coming off the bench and they're both like, you know, two scoring options that are pretty legitimate on a nightly basis. Like that's important. So that was really encouraging to see. And just for his development as well, you know, just looking comfortable out there, the chemistry you have it quickly. It was be- like them two in particular, like it was, it was so nice that little lobby through him, the pick and roll they ran together. It was just like, wow, like this is beautiful. This is what we wanted to see. Yeah, I mean, it gets me excited in general for, you know, the fact that Quick can do this with both Mitch and Obi so far now seamlessly with, you know, kind of playing up and down like that, you know, finding them as they're, you know, running to the rim, whether, you know, for the lob or or just, did, you know, stride like he, you know, caught Obi today. Um, it's nice. It's nice to know that, like, they – they really, I think, figured it out with the lab threat situation too, which was something that we always wanted from whoever the guard was going to be, whoever, however long the guard was going to be here. Um, somebody needed to be able to find Mitch and now especially Obi. And we have a guard who I've seen do that a lot so far through the preseason and uh, through today with both those guys. So uh, another point for quickly here, but like it, it's really good now that Mitch and Obi have a guard that's going to be, you know, play up to 30 minutes a game or so who's going to be looking for him like that. Like that's, that's like a really like massively important thing for this offense and for their development, which is important. So I'm happy about that. Yeah. I mean, one other thing that I think is going to help Obi a lot, if it can continue is like, I've sort of talked since the season started or even in like the preseason about how Nerland looks like he sort of lost a little bit of his athleticism. Like he just like didn't quite have it. Like I think what was it two games ago, maybe where he just, couldn't get up for lobs at all and it was like really weird like he would like go up for it but he didn't have any elevation and you know if 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 noel doesn't have his athleticism then there's not a ton that he brings because like he's really just like a like a mitch super light at this point right but like today i thought that he had really like he looked really springy and quick and like he had quick hands 
and he was quick off the ground, light on his feet. And if he can be like what he, what we expect from him, which is just like a solid rangy rim protector with like good hands who can like get up on lobs. Like he makes life so much easier for Mitch on the defensive end. And I think we saw that a few times and like he had some really good plays that kind of like spurred them on. And so when you have like, when you have quick and, uh, and Noel, on the floor at the same time. Like that's a lot of defensive energy and a lot of just like hands and passing lanes. And I will say like one other thing that I think we have to give Thibodeau credit for is like, they, he played for, for a, a decent stretch out there. He was playing with a quickly Rivers, Knox, Obi and Nerland. And I was like, shit, like I genuinely cannot remember the last time the Knicks played a four out, like four shooters on the floor offense and it was just like oh my god like this is what modern basketball looks like and it's coming from the Knicks and that was just so refreshing and so unusual and it's just like I think it also points to like Thibodeau like understanding like people give him a lot of shit and like some of it I think is deserved and some of it is not so but like it like he clearly understands that they need shooters out there he's like 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 you say Kyle he's not an idiot he gets what you need to do which is score points and yes, he's a defensive guy first, but he clearly sees that they need to put shooting around Mitch. They need to put shooting around RJ and they just need to have shooting in general. And so I think that that has to be super encouraging for, you know, what they're doing the rest of the season and how they're going to try to like make life a little easier for their young guys. Yeah. Like the having shooting on the floor is just really dope. And that's why I'm really excited for Burks to get back too. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be playing in tomorrow's game or which will be today's game when it's comes. But I don't know if he's going to be playing in that game. But just going forward, getting him back soon, especially with IQ playing more minutes, like I'm looking forward to seeing lineups like, you know, IQ, Burks, RJ, Randall, and Mitch just to give them the options that they need and the floor spacing. Like the, the way the teams have to guard the pick and roll with IQ out there gives everybody more space to operate. It just makes the game simpler for everybody. Like, the defender's got to come out 30 feet and try to go over the screen. <laughs> yep, but uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break to uh, stop for an ad, pay the bills, and then we'll come right back on the other side and uh, finish this conversation, get to the mailbag, and uh, go from there. And we're back. So um, we are just talking off the pod, but Mitchell Robinson is uh, you know, having a pretty good year when he's not dealing with DeAndre Drummond's of the world, um, the, the one center that seems to give him issues whenever they play. Um, so that was a, a bit of a, an unfortunate game for us to have to watch during uh, the losing streak there. If we thought they would have beaten a shorthanded Cavs team, but uh, you know, Drummond just has his number. It is what it is. And yeah, you know, looked a lot better tonight, not having to deal with them. So or today rather, but um, so tomorrow, on MLK Day, uh, the Knicks kick off the NBA slate. Uh, they're at home. They're back at the Garden. They're taking on the 6-7 and seven Orlando Magic, who are currently in the sixth seed as our beloved Knicks sit uh, ninth, you know, due to the us not having the tiebreaker with the Hornets situation. So, um, you know, we're right there. You know, we beat the Magic tomorrow, right back in the playoff picture. Um, but what are you guys looking for in that game? If anything, I know uh, Fultz is now – out um i don't know if fournier is, is fournier back officially yet no i don't think so i'm not sure yeah. so it's just still just call anthony and ross and, and vooch against the world pretty much 
Aaron like, Gordon, but you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> no, I know. I, Neither do I. He, he just exists. I, I'm so disappointed. Three, three years in a row, Aaron Gordon was supposed to have a breakout season. Three years in a row, Aaron Gordon did the exact same thing. Like I, I like Aaron Gordon, but makes me sad because he has like four like disgusting posters a year. He just like literally flies for five seconds through the air, and then it makes you think like, hey. If this guy does like literally any kind of improvement, like 1%, 2%, 5%, like he would like, wow. And then every year it's like 12.7 rebounds, you know? Wiggins gets the slander that Aaron Gordon is supposed to be getting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins gets slammed, bro. Like, you know, and a lot of times I, like I, I see it and I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. He's not that good. Yeah. And then like, eventually I'm like, okay, what? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't suck, you know. Like he's he's not the worst <laughs> player in the NBA. Like, like why why is it only him? Like, at some point it's like I mean he's like he's like all right. Like objectively, there's a, you know, there's a spot. I think he's I think he's disappointing, but he's fine. Like that's that's Andrew Wiggins, right? Like that's yeah. He's they like kill a him. he's a replacement level wing, which in the NBA like that's that's pretty damn impressive. Like, no, he's not Maple Jordan, but to be like a like I don't know, slightly below average. Like he's not some some train wreck. I, but, I mean, you, know, I get you, you get like, that tag on you, and all of a sudden, like you can't really shake it. I like them a lot. Yeah, like he was putting up twenty a game, like a lot, like very often, and like he improved other aspects of his game, and like nobody cared. It was just, he's gonna be you're not great. You suck. He's gonna be the most hated twenty point per game score of all time. Like, <laughs> the, like uh, Zach, like, him and Zach Levine. Oh, I don't even get the Zach Levine. Let's talk about the Zach Levine thing for a second because whether or not you want to trade for him, I saw some wild stuff yesterday from Knicks fans, and I was very very disappointed with you guys. We're supposed to be the smartest fan base in the world. I'm reading stuff like uh, he's he's an empty stats player. What makes him an empty stats player, guys? Because he's on a losing team? Does that make Julius Randle's stats empty then? His his flirting with triple doubles every night is that is that how we're gonna do this? Are, are we cavemen? When we discuss sports, you know. Like, come on, let's be let's be a little bit better, okay? Like, he's averaging like what twenty nine, five and five, six and five, um, something like that, on almost 50, 49. On good efficiency. Like, what, like, what like else could you possibly years, want for the last three years? 20, 25 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists on thirty eight percent three point shooting, like. Yes, he's not a great defender. That is everything you want offensively from a like from a two guard. That's everything. I think people get caught up in names and just stay with narratives. Like, you know, it's easy because I know personally, I do not watch Bulls games. And I know that I watch more basketball than the average person. So, like, a lot of people who speak, like, oh, he's a losing player, they just don't watch him play. They just see that the Bulls lose. They see other people talk about how the Bulls lose, and they spew what they heard. But, yeah, a guy that's putting up 29-5-5 and on damn near 50-40-90, like, I will take him on my team. 63% true shooting (laughs) as a two-guard, like a volume-scoring two-guard. That's absurd. That is insane. It's funny because, like, for every other player in the league, efficiency is, like, the only thing that matters, right? Whatever, That's what we hear every time someone talks about RJ. Efficiency. So, like, with Levine, for some reason, no one gives a shit that he's, like, a super efficient like high volume score because you know as we've said on this spot many times points are bad points are actually terrible are and like, you, you, you can't score. conversation you can't score you don't want to score no it's the same conversation honestly that we saw with booker for years until like probably a year and a half ago like when people were like oh wait 
is he actually good? He, it's not just like he puts up numbers, but he's actually good. And it's like, Zach Levine has been on a shit situation for his entire career. Like he, he was on a terrible yeah. Wolves team that tried to use him as a point guard. Then like on a slightly better Wolves team and then on a terrible Bulls team with like Jim Boylan, who every single player got worse under Jim Boylan. There's not like maybe Chris Dunn is the only player who got better. And he signed for what, like a, not even like an MLE deal in Atlanta this year. Barely, yeah. Like, <laughs> so like we also want to, you know, we always want to talk about context, except, you know, Zach Levine, we're going to ignore all that context. I've never been in a winning situation on a team that had any hopes that mattered on, with a coach that could like get the best out of him. And so it's crazy. You know, I, I, I tried to ask both fans what the price would be. Nobody answered me. But I feel like if you put Zach Levine with Julius Randle and you keep R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, this is a very good basketball team. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what it comes to. Like, you need, you need weapons. You need multiple weapons. If you give Julius Randle a guy who is just objectively a terrific volume three-point shooter, like – that's literally the issue is that he's kicking to guys who are bricking threes. He's kicking to Reggie who's bricking threes. Julius Randle would be averaging 10 assists if he was playing with Zach Levine. Like that's not a joke. That's he's throwing that many passes to shooters. Like he would more, you know, he'd be knocking them down. It's very simple. So I don't know. I'm not saying we got to go through trade talk and all that. It's too early for all that stuff, but like, just be sensible when we're talking about our guys. It's fine. If you want to just continue to build with the young guys, but don't say silly stuff like, you know, like he, he's an empty stats guy or he's not that good of a player. Or he doesn't play winning basketball. Like all these kind of like silly things that we ended up hearing. And then uh, the other thing too, which always, everybody always thinks whatever trade package gets proposed is, is always too much. Every, like the Bulls, of course, are only are going to go for Julius. They, they have three forwards. They're going to go for Julius Randle, Kevin Knox, and a couple of picks. Like even that is like not nearly enough to get Zach Levine from them. Like any, any trade for a star that's going to be giving you like 30 points and that kind of production is going to be one of at least probably RJ or Obi and then picks like your, their pick of a couple of them. And then you're going to have to negotiate from there. So it's like, that's how that's going to work. So if not, like nobody's going to take like the two end of bench guys, some picks and then an expiring contract. Like that's not really, you know what I mean? Like we got to be sensible too about what teams are always going to want from a star. That's all that I like to stress on this podcast. Just be realistic. But, um, Anyway, uh, I do want to say one thing, though. Um, R.J. Barrett's defense this season, and I couldn't bring this up during the losing streak because it was unimportant as we got our asses kicked, but R.J. Barrett's defense this season has impressed me. Um, I've seen him start to get more into the passing lanes, uh, which, is, of course, helps his transition game, helps him get on into the break, but I've also seen him do a lot better this year. I mean, he used his body pretty well last year as a rookie defender, but I've even better this season, um, getting in front of guys, stopping guys on drives, uh, kind of shutting that down a little bit better. So, you know, the fact that we saw good defense from him at a, you know, 19-year-old level uh, and seeing him do it at a 20-year-old level right now is like pretty good, man. Uh, pr- pretty, pretty good. Like really the only thing we're missing right now is like not shooting like shit every game consistently or like not start basically not starting every game over five like that seems like the rj barrett problem he starts every game over five and then we're working out of a hole and then if he hits his sixth and seventh we're back on track and then if he misses it's a long night so um basically that, that that's it because the, the assist things there the passing's there the rebounding's definitely there but it's like 
the defense is like not nothing anymore. It's not like a throwing anymore to me. Like I'm starting to see like a, a pretty complete looking defender, like a pretty engaged defender, you know, playing good team defense, uh, playing good one-on-one defense, individual defense. And just the way he's like, he's not the quickest guy. So the way he's using his body to kind of like stay in front and using his strength, it's like, I'm encouraged. I don't know what his ceiling is going to be as a defender. Uh, I, I don't know what I ever thought it would be, but I'm I'm starting to kind of see the picture for what he's going to be defensively, and it's starting to excite me a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is okay. sort of similar. Oh, sorry, Sean. Go ahead. No, you're good to go. Go ahead. All right, so I was just going to say, similar to, like, what I talked about with Ovi earlier on, like, one of the plays that I found the most interesting and, like, kind of, like, as soon as I saw it develop, my eyes lit up a little bit was in the first half when Jalen, I think, was got the ball in the corner and then – like took it straight at RJ who was just Ding him up one-on-one and like RJ stayed with him, walled him off, like cut off the baseline and then like recovered to contest the shot. And, you know, I, I thought that that was like a perfect matchup for him. Like someone who is more athletic than him about the same size, about the same strength. Cause like, we know that RJ can win with strength and with just like, kind of like throwing his body around and like using his wingspan, but like Jalen's quicker than him has the same size, and can just like leap over him. And he he really just kind of like neutralized him and like penned him up. And I, I thought just like in the same way as Obi, like that was just a really encouraging play where like, that's the kind of stuff he's gonna have to do. I think he still has some really rough moment off ball, like any young player does. And like, they're obviously like all still acclimating to the tip system. So it's like kind of to be expected, but yeah, I mean, he, he is versatile on defense in some really interesting ways. And I think that like the more Tibbs gets to spend time with him, like the more he's going to bring that out. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a great point too. Like the more he's with Tibbs, the better it's going to get because he showed in his rookie year that he could defend. Like, and it was something that we didn't necessarily expect, but it was like, okay, like, you know, he's not a liability defensively, but this year I think he's definitely a plus defender. He's like somebody I, depend on the lineup. Like when I think of lineups and like lineup construction, I'm like, okay, RJ is a wing that can defend. Like he can defend wings. Is he like locked down yet? No, but you can depend on him. Uh, he uses his strength. Well, Jalen matchup was Jalen Brown was a great matchup for him. And um, he won the matchup, honestly, um, pretty loudly. So that's really nice to see. He does cut off guys on drives while he walls up, uses his body. He moves his feet fairly well. Sometimes he gets beat. Uh, you know, it's not perfect, but overall he moves his feet well. He cuts off drives. He's active in the passing lanes. He has active hands and he's strong. So like he has all, and he's just a smart defender. He knows where to be. So he has all the elements of, you know, good defense and he's playing for Tibbs. So I just only expect that to get better. And it's really exciting because yes, that's a part of his game that does show up every night. Yeah, and he does get beat off ball uh, defensively a little bit. But one thing I've noticed, too, he's playing, like, more free safety style defensively, I've noticed. Like, the way that he's, like, tipping these passes is, like, he's kind of shooting these gaps a little bit more. You know what I mean? I've noticed where his, like, his body, his frame just kind of, like, appears, like, sprawled out in the passing lane. And it's, like, calculated a little bit better. So, you know, I think he's got to work on that, obviously, in terms of when to do it, because sometimes you're going to, you know, kill us if you miss. It's a it's a really hit or miss play. But um, I've seen that at least like regularly over the course of a week in this next season. Like I'll see it at least a couple of times I've noticed where he's like really going in, tipping a pass like that. So it's like, you know, if he gets good at that, like that sort of uh, he's timing stuff before it's happening. Like that's another thing where it's like that's going to start being instant offense for him. You know what I mean? Like that's how you 
literally get free points when you take a trip down to the other side of the paint, you know, just, you know, have at it. So, uh, so far so good, but, um, 20 year old defender like that, I'm excited, especially when you got Mitch behind him. Like this is, this is why they have a good defense. Really? I mean, with Randall engaged so far, I mean, Randall's not been bad at all defensively. I, I mean, he's not perfect, but especially compared to last season, um, he's been good. He's been good. And I think once we get this Alfred Payton situation out, I think we're going to really start like seeing a team identity. I truly believe that um, they just, it seems like that's the last piece. Like, and this is the question I want to pose to you guys. Obviously I know quickly wants to, you know, I want quickly to start. I think we all probably agree that that's what we either want. We're, it's going to happen very soon. Um, while understanding that it's unrealistic that Alfred Payton just isn't going to play. Like, do you guys have any faith in like, once they do this switch, right? Alfred's going to be the first guard off the bench, I assume. But I mean, I don't hate his kind of not great attacking style. If it's going to be against second units, like I don't really, I still don't think like this is the kind of guard that we want playing. And obviously at this point, I would just try out a Frank or at least a Dennis again as a backup, but knowing that that's not going to happen, like I'm trying to just like, we hate what Alfred does with the starters, but if he could at least like, all right, man, like if, if you could try to at least like keep the ball moving with like rivers and, you know, OB out there and like, you know, those couple of minutes that they're going to overlap. Like, I don't know if I hate it too, too much, but it's like, that's the, the new reality that I'm trying to prepare us for. Yeah, I mean, like, the the thing about the, the second unit is it's full of shooters, right? So that, like, mitigates his biggest weakness. So, like, yes, obviously, I don't want to see – I would love to just not have him on my team anymore. I was just – I cannot wait for next season. If they bring him back for a third year in a row, I'm going to cry. But, like, in the second unit with a bunch of shooters and, like, tossing lobs to Obi and Nerland, like, I, I actually think that that's probably, like, will make him – look a lot better like I, I don't think he's gonna be better but i think it'll make him look better i think it'll make him look like less of just sort of this like extinct kind of point guard that no one needs anymore just because like he he is a good playmaker and like while austin rivers is like a good penetrator and kind of like if he can find his shot again he's gonna like knock down shots like that that unit could still use more playmaking so i think I mean, I really just think that like putting quick in the starting lineup and putting else in the, in the second unit, just like helps both of them and everyone around them. It, it makes too much sense for, I guess, like the Knicks to actually ever do it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we all know how I feel about it for Peyton in his minutes. I would love for him to be out of rotation completely. And that's my eventual utopian society. But in, in like in, in this universe we're at, um, if Quick becomes a starter and Alfred's coming off the bench and he, like you guys said, he's playing with more shooters and he looks for Obi the same way he looks for Randall and that's pretty much his job, like go out there, feed Obi, find shooters, do this for 15, what, because I'd like IQ to play like 33 minutes. Do this, do this for 15 minutes a night, you know? 13 to 15 minutes a night, keep us running, keep us stabilized, cool. Maybe we'll even get lucky in some playoff team or, you know, the Clippers or somebody will feel like they need a point guard and see what he does for us off the bench and offer a trade. And he, he decides he wants to go over there and have a shot so he can be the guy. I don't know. I don't care. But get him out of the starting lineup for sure. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, we've seen enough. Uh, I think the quickly, like we said, you know, earlier, the, the quickly stuff is starting to make just too much sense. Uh, it's just too obvious to ignore uh, game by game here. It, it's starting to feel that way. So we shall see if Tibbs feels that same way. But, you know, while we still have a little bit of time here, I do want to get to our mailbag segment that we started uh, after uh, one of the losses the other night. But, uh, you know, some of these are pretty good. Uh, a little scary, though. Uh, first one's going to be at Kobe Bean Burner underscore. Is there a scenario where Obi is a bust? Tyrese Halliburton in Sacramento looks like an absolute stud already. It was my pick at eight. Um, you guys know I like Halliburton. Um, I was told things by Twitter people. Uh, one of those Twitter people was Eli that he wouldn't fit on this team. Uh, but he, he again, we, we will never know. But he looks really good right now. But anyway, um, I mean, yeah, there's always a scenario, always a bust. Um, any draft pick really, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, we got to see what happens. He looked pretty good today. Um, obviously, long term, it's kind of tough if you have Randall and him. So I don't really know what the plan is or the thinking is moving forward when Randall looks this good. But um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he if he's going to come in and give you know give you double digits off the bench right now as a as a backup power forward, like pretty good. I, I don't know if we got to talk bust yet. You know, so. That's where I'm at. Yeah, people are very reactionary. And to be having, like, you know, to consider the thought of a guy being a bust when he's played, like, you know, maybe two and a half, three games, it's like attempted misery. And that's not something I can relate to. Like, I'm not really going to evaluate Opie as a bust now. And I feel like I said it on post-game powder and say, like, everybody's being so loud about, oh, Tyrese Halliburton, he's a stud. And he's averaging, like, what, 13, 14 points a game. That's cool. Like, he's playing well. But I don't necessarily think he's doing things that IQ can't do. I mean, in the past few games where IQ has gotten consistent, so it's like you got a guard who can do the things that you would have gotten Halliburton to do, and you also got Obi. So let's just see what Obi can become and allow him to become that before we're asking if he's going to be a bust because somebody somewhere else that gets covered by the media differently is averaging 13 points a game. Yeah, I mean, I I have my doubts on Obi, but even with those doubts, like I don't really think he's going to be a bust. I think he'll be productive enough as an offensive player that he'll be able to stick around like people who can score and, you know, pass the way he does kind of, kind of like can carve out a role for themselves. Like I, I should do it. Like if I had known what IQ would be and that they were going to get him and what he would be at the pro. Cause I wasn't even like, I didn't, I wasn't super sold on him either. Then, yeah, it's like the, the idea of like a quickly Halliburton RJ backcourt is super fun. I think that that would be awesome. And I have to sort of like Mia Culpa because I just saw like a guy who couldn't really dribble as like a point guard. And like I knew he made those good decisions. And I, I did say from the beginning, I said, if you put him next to a dynamic like offensive initiator, then you'll have it. Then you'll have a good squad. And if I had known that, you know, Julius Randle was going to be Julius, Yo- Julius Jokic, like – Sure, take Halliburton, and I, I do kind of like need to do my mea culpa on that. And I will say that I like, I have a little like grass is always greener with him and Vassell uh, over there, just because I, I do worry about some things with like Obi, not just in terms of like what we've seen from him, but what we knew about him coming into the draft. But yeah, I, I just don't see, I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think, you know, like he's the ninth pick. What what's the average return for a ninth pick? Like a pretty good role player? Like I think he can be a pretty good role player. 
Yeah, I mean, I think people just forget in general, like, how often draft picks are bad. I think people always think about, like, the, like, 5 to 10 from every class that are, like, pretty good, and then they don't realize, like, 50 are either, like, not good or, like, disappear every year because this is the NBA, and then there's 60 more guys coming in next year to take your job. So not everyone's going to stick all the time then this is the cycle. So it's like, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's always a chance that these guys aren't going to be good, but like the chance of them being good, I think is like, it's like five to 10% of a chance that you have of like an above average starter. Like you're, you're generally going to miss, you know what I mean? It's like, that's just the expectation. So all he's got to do is be able to score. He's just got to be able to score a little bit at this level. He's going to hang around for a while, whether it's as uh, you know, if it's high level stuff, we'll see if not worst case scenario, you're just like a solid, score you fit in as like a decent starter somewhere like that again that's a win people always think like it's got to be a star like you you just got to be like a good starter basically like you got to go out there start you know generally probably score double digits he's going to need to rebound a little bit to stay in probably get a couple assists and then he's going to fit in somewhere so i will uh, just say what one that like i agree with you that generally you're going to miss i think that that's true the problem is if you miss three out of four years where you're in the top 10 which like I think that's what people are very scared with, with Obi. It's like, it has nothing really to do with him, but we've seen Frank and we've seen Knox and like, obviously Knox is starting to look like a person who can survive an NBA career, which was not always a sure thing last year. But like, yep. yeah, so if you miss three, three out of four top 10 picks, yeah, it's going to hurt a lot. But like, I don't know, Obi, you know, he's not a project in those same way. Like you, he, like. That's why they took him, yeah. That's why they took so him, just- exactly. That so you just come in and just shoot the ball and do stuff now so that they don't have that problem of missing again. That's that's why I was kind of fine with it. It was like, all right, that's why, like, I mean, at least in this conversation where we're talking about him being a bust and the Halliburton thing, to me, those are two different conversations. Because if you ask me, I'm always going to want the Knicks to draft a guard with their first lottery pick every single time until they get it right. Just keep drafting guards. Eventually, one of these is going to hit just every year, every year. Have too many, run two guard, three guard sets. I don't care. Just keep drafting them until you figure it out. So I would have taken Halliburton. I would have taken Kyra Lewis. I would have taken a handful of guards of that position and been happy first before the OB thing. That's just always my philosophy. But, you know, they didn't. And they got OB who looks like he might be a pretty decent scorer. So we'll see. But I don't, I don't think bust is really going to happen for him either. I agree with that. Um, so the, the next, let's just move on to the next one. Uh, we have at GZFSOS is Elf blackmailing Tibbs to start. And then he says the to top Thibodeau blink twice if yes, coach. <laughs> um, I, I think that's definitely what's happening. That's the only logical explanation at this point, especially if he starts again tomorrow. It's just like, how much longer can you get outplayed by your backup on a nightly basis while being a detriment to the entire team before you lose your job? Like, I don't understand. It seems pretty simple. So it has to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's Elf that's blackmailing Tibbs. I think it's Scott Perry that's blackmailing Tibbs. We all know that yes. Scott Perry is the number one Elf stan, the guy who has like his entire career seems based on propping Alfred Payton up in anywhere he goes. So I, I would put my money on him being the culprit and like let's send the cops his way. Uh, and also, you know, a guy who I would be just as happy to see leave as Payton, but. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some some underhanded back alley dealings happening there. A reminder that uh, 
lots of people told me that it was totally fine that Scott Perry would be back for another year because he could do no harm, you know, not like what, what bad could come from this. Right. And then Alfred Payton resigned and is now starting. I just want to bring that up once again. Uh, I will confess as an admitted Scott Perry apologist. Um, I don't think he did as much harm as he's giving credit for, but bringing Alfred back and starting him is enough harm for me to be on the get rid of him train. Like that's harm every single day, every single game. So yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it just enough, enough was Perry's got to go. Alfred's got to go. They can go wherever they got to go together. Um, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, so moving on to the next one we have uh, from the, at State NYK Pod, at what point do the Knicks consider trading Randall for assets? This is a conversation we're probably going to have a couple times throughout the year. Um, I don't know that they're going to do that, man. Like, I, I don't know that that's on the table. Uh, I'm just going to keep it a buck. And we had a pod at first before the season where we felt they had to do that because if you drafted Obi, why would you, you know, why would that be the plan? But uh, when you come in and are, you know, pretty efficiently averaging 23 points, you know, 10, 11 rebounds, seven assists, um, helping the Knicks actually win games. And you're on a pretty good contract for that production, to be honest with you. He's, you know, 18, $19 million. And next year, I think starts at 4 million. And then the last year of his deal is based on a bunch of incentives. So I don't even know what that's going to uh, tap out at. But um, I mean, that's like two years of like, pretty good value as he just turned age 26 which is now theoretically when he's gonna enter his prime so i'm not saying what they should or shouldn't do i'm just saying i don't even know that's on the table right now it's like found money for them like we're always complaining that we don't have like that kind of heavy all-around production from anybody right and any stars and you're getting somebody who's doing all of those things now and i get like it's not as pretty as when a like a like a perimeter guy does it it's not as clean you know he's still a, a clunky kind of power forward so you're not going to get zero turnovers for him, but like he's still doing lots more good than he is bad. And without him, like, especially during that losing streak without Julius Randle, I would have been disgusting because he was doing, it was like a one man army out there. It was like every game Julius Randle was like 25, 25 to 30 points, 12 rebounds, seven assists. Nick lo- Nick's lose by 15. So it's like, you know, I, I, I don't know if they're going to do it. I, I just don't see that for them. I, I don't know what they end up doing, but like, it just does not feel like he's moving anywhere anytime soon. And I don't know that he should. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I agree with you. It's just, it's not really at that point right now. I mean, I want people to realize like, stop only hearing the name and understand that Julius Randle is putting up, Almost all-star for sure, but almost all NBA numbers. Like he's really playing great basketball. So you don't really rush to you don't really rush to trade that guy away. I mean, because what you rush to trade Julius and then you spend the next four years hoping that Obi is at 26, what Julius is now. I think you just go with what you've got. You know, you fit Obi in where he's at. If it comes to a point where Julius is playing really well, you get somebody that fits well with him, and that makes you guys a better team. And you got to move Obi, whatever it is, or Obi keeps, you know, he becomes his sixth man role and he's just playing 25, 30 minutes off the bench for the next three years. I don't know what it is, but you don't just trade a guy because you'd be trading him for below what his value would be. Like, let him be the guy he is and just enjoy it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I think it is a conversation that's worth having. You know, anytime you're a bad team and you have a player who's good, it's a conversation worth having. Can you flip them for something good? But like not, you know, we it's not flip him for the sake of flipping him. It's flip him if you can get something that fits what you're trying to build, right? So it's like if you could get like a, a Zach Levine or whatever like that, yes, of course you explore it. But to be honest, like we've seen, I feel like, NBA executives be much more wary about like a one year like explosion of suddenly playing the right way and like I, I don't know if I necessarily buy his value as being that much higher even with how well he's playing like I don't think there's a lot of like contenders that would be like oh we're one Julius Randle away you know and so like if it's not that kind of team then okay they're like a, a kind of good team who wants to become better like there are teams out there that like could fit the bill. Like, I think the Mavs, we've talked about it before. The Mavs would be really good with Julius Randle next to Doncic and KP. Like that'd be a good fit, but like, who are they sending back? I, I think, I think it's very complicated. And I think that his value is not equi- like, like what you're saying, John, like, I don't think his value is equivalent to his production right now. And if that's not the case, and if you're not going to just be getting someone who actually like, there's a very specific reason you want him and it's because he provides these certain things that you want to have moving forward. Like if that's not there, then I think you just have to sort of, like you guys say, like roll with the found money and just, and I can't believe I'm saying this because, you know, I've been on like the trade Randall basically since like last year, but you don't do it just to do it. You do it if there's a reason. Yeah. And I I do want to say another follow-up point I had on this was, and this is something that I'd like, like to propose to you guys as, as just an idea it's like if you do roll with the found money and again it's not like you're in a rush for Obi to be like a star right away you just want him contributing right away it seems whatever that is in pretty big minutes you want him contributing which is fine it's a good problem to have they both end up being good but i think there's something to just like you, you know again keeping the found money but also like hey man you took a chance on julius Randle for 60 million dollars for three years and he's playing really well and he looks really good and he's still pretty young. So that's kind of like kind of partly into the culture aspect. It's like, hey, he came in, he busted his ass, you know, he he worked well with Tibbs. They want some more games than people expected. You know, maybe he has them hovering in this kind of eight seed territory this season. That I kind of think they're gonna, I don't know if they're gonna be eight seed good, but I think they're gonna at least kind of be in that nine to ten area, you know, at least floating most of the year, fighting for you know, that eight, hopefully. But um I do think there's something to that. Just kind of keeping him like, Hey, he worked hard here. He helped us start to turn things around here. And like, that is sort of how you start to build culture. You know, even if it's not as clean as you want, or it's not as good as you want quickly. Like I do think there's something to be said again, the results got to be there too. Like they got to keep winning. He's got to keep playing this way, of course. But if he is like, I don't think that I'd be bothered by that. How could you be bothered if you're getting that kind of production? You know what I mean? I think like at that point, he embraces him. He embraces us. Hopefully they keep figuring this thing out. And then again, if he's good enough where you could actually move him for something after that, like, and it actually helps us, you know, no harm, no foul. It's a business, but you don't just move him. Cause it's like, okay, we got to sell high, you know, sell high to get a first, you know, a first round. And then it's like, all right, now we just got another first rounder that, you know, now we got eight and four years again. Now what, you know, it's like, I said, if they the can point? get a decent first round pick in, in this year's draft, I would consider it. Mate, look, not like there's always a there's always a right price. Clipper is like Marcus Morris first round pick, like that's like basically a second round pick, but like a mid solid. Okay, then you start to consider it. 
But I, again, I don't really think that that offer is going to be out there. And I don't think that I'd trade Julius Randle for the 18th pick in this draft. Like, yeah, it's a cool draft, but it's just like, how many guys are you going to bring in and hope to develop? Like, at the, we have, you know, we've got Kevin Knox who's improving. We've got RJ. We've got IQ. We've got Obi who can't even get, like, he's not in a starting lineup right now. we got Mitch. So it's just like you have two picks in this draft already. Like, how many guys do you realistically think that you're going to develop? And, and what are you hoping for them to be? Well, I think you do that move if you think you can try to like use those th- like those three picks. Like say you get the like the to move up. Six pick and you have three picks and you try to use all three picks to move to like two. Like I think that's why you would do it because then you can okay, get like an actual sense. franchise changer. But if, you know if, who knows if if they do intend to go all in or something like that, then yeah, like it'd be hard to argue if they thought they can get like the guy, you know. So like if that's what they're thinking, then okay. But like the point, but the point still stands. I think that. It, it is still a math problem at the end of the day. Like right now they still are developing young guys that they seem to want to keep, but also they have more, a bunch more picks coming up. So it's either you got to trade some of these somehow. And if you're going to keep looking to load up, especially you're going to have to, you know, put together some kind of a package because you're never going to play all these guys that you're drafting. It's the same thing that I said about the Celtics for years too, when Ainge was just loading up relentlessly and never using anything, just kept drafting guys year after year and sitting on them. And I was like, you know, like draft picks are great, man. But then when you just keep drafting dudes, most of them are going to be misses. And then you got to use these things. So, you know, the teams want to believe that they found a guy. That's how this works. Like you got to sell them. They have the most value being sold always. Like I know I always sound like a crazy person, but like I've been, that's why the last two years when I've been like, yeah, man, they're starting to have picks. Like if you want to take a swing, okay. If somebody's available, I said it two years ago for Beal, they yelled at me. You know, I, I would have taken Beal two years ago with picks. Like y- you got to do some stuff sometimes. You know, the, you have enough. It's not like we're negative if, if we trade three picks right now. We, we still have one more than we should. Like, hello, we're okay. Like, that's that's what I like to get across. So, I don't know. It'd be nice, but. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% down to package picks and make it happen because, yeah, like, like, like we were saying, you cannot, you can only develop so many guys at once. And. You know, at, at a point, you're going to just keep stockpiling guys as assets and you're kind of just running on a treadmill at that point. So you've got to start deciding who you're going to invest in, really investing in and move forward. Yep. But uh, on that note, I'm going to cap us here. Uh, you know, we got the the Magic coming up again tomorrow, MLK matinee. So we'll talk to you guys about that. A couple other games next week afterwards. Um so we'll see. Hopefully they can get to uh, seven and eight here, kind of get back towards 500. That would be very, very nice. Uh, I think that's a, a nice goal for us this season is just want them to hover or get near 500. I think that's if you're rooting for wins, uh, I think most of us are at this point. That's what we're going with. But uh, other than that, make sure you're following the Knicks wall. Make sure you're reading us every day at the Knicks Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, giving this a five star rating and review helps us keep doing what we do. Um. That's about it. You know, Sean, Eli, you guys get anything else? Uh, writing anything, Eli? Sean, you get anything coming up? Yeah, I'm going to have a piece on uh, quickly and how his defense can sort of set him apart um, and, like, the combination of defense and shooting. So that should be coming out sometime next week. That's all it. Um, shout out to Jesus. That was really cool. Yeah, nice. always shout out Jesus. Uh, first time, long time. Been following us for a long time. Uh, we've seen him wear the the merch back in the the Vice Land days. So, uh, you know, always appreciate those guys. Glad he's uh he's watching you now. That's excellent. <laughs> Makes us I was happy. Like, Whoa. So.
And that was a that was a nice pop up. Uh, obviously made us all happy. So, uh, all right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Go Knicks, and uh, let's beat the shit out of the Magic tomorrow. Yes, indeed. All right, guys, take it easy. Yes.